chapter 12. Philippians chapter 12, and we'll be reading this morning. And Philippians chapter 3, I'm sorry, we'll begin our reading in verse 12. I am, I am, I am, nobody even called me out on that. I am multitasking up here, trying to get all this ready. Philippians chapter 3, and beginning in verse 12, read with me if you will. Paul writes, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that if I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, where two we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful again for the opportunity to open the Word of God, to proclaim its truth. We thank you for how you have revealed Christ to us. And Lord, the problem is not that we need revelation, but we need our hearts and minds and our eyes to be illuminated to the truth that is before us. So we pray this morning that by the Spirit of God and His power, He may work in every heart, every life. Lord, we rejoice in Your goodness and Your faithfulness this morning, thanking You that we are confident that You who have redeemed us will keep us and present us faultless and blameless unto Christ's bride. And Father, we know that's nothing that we have done or nothing we can do of ourselves, but all because of Jesus so may we see the beauty of our Lord today as He is revealed in His Word. And may we as Paul be determined and committed to continue to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, who is our all in all. For we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. A few weeks ago, we began our examination of the third chapter of Paul's epistle to the Philippians, as you are aware, as we journey, made our journey thus far through this epistle. And at that time, I explained to you when we began or during this process of working our way through this epistle, I explained that there are five divisions within this third chapter. Again, I want to remind you that in our English translation, of course, we have chapter and verse divisions. But when the scriptures were written, these were letters. Paul's writing a, a letter to the church at Philippi, to fellow believers, and he's doing so while he's in prison. This is one of the four prison epistles. And so this letter was not written being divided in chapters and verses, but rather it was written as one letter. However, there are paragraphs and different thoughts and breaks in thought throughout the letter. Though there is one main theme, as we know, one main statement that is being made, yet he also divides it up in paragraphs or in certain thoughts, as we would write today in a very similar manner. And so I explained to you, first of all, verse 1, the first division, Paul ex, uh, explains his effort to provide a safeguard for the church. In verses 2 through 6, Paul exposes the error of the Judaizers who attempted to deceive the church. Verses 7 through 11, Paul declares the superiority of knowing Jesus. He says that I may know him. This is, the, this is if you will, the epitome of the entirety. It's the crux of all that Paul is stating in the entirety of the epistle when he says that I may know him. And then in verses 12 through 16, the fourth division, 
Paul affirms his desire and commitment to grow in the knowledge of Christ, and this is where we are this morning. And then verses 17 through 21, the last of the divisions of the chapter, Paul exhorts the church to follow his example in commitment to know Christ. So we began our study in verse 1, in which Paul provided a reminder, in which he said, remember, there is safety and repetition of the truth. This is that safeguard which he was providing in verse 1. Then he says, remember, there are many who pervert the truth of Christ. Again, the safeguard and warning and exposing those who would pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then third, he said, remember, place no confidence in the flesh in verses 3 through 6. We then further progressed and examined Paul's explanation of the superiority of knowing Christ. As I explained, this portion of this epistle captures, as I mentioned, the very essence of Paul's entire message or his thesis statement of this epistle. If you look back in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we see the thesis statement for this epistle. Paul said, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And here's the thesis statement, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. He found in verse 10, Paul makes that statement that ye may approve things that are excellent. Within these verses, Paul exhorted the Philippian believers to discover and to distinguish. When he says approve things that are excellent, it is that they are to prove, they are to discover and distinguish, make distinction or understand the distinction which exists between things which are superior contrasted with those things which are inferior. The word excellent here, prove things that are excellent, it means superior. And so Paul is recognizing that when we see something to be superior, it automatically causes us to recognize that it is superior to other things. So then it is, what is it superior to? And Paul goes on to explain it's superior to everything. Knowing Christ is excellent above all other things. So within these verses, Paul is exhorting the Philippian believers to discover and distinguish, if you will, or recognize the distinction, the distinctive difference between those things which are superior and those things which are inferior. And for one to be able to recognize, again, the superiority of something or anything, there must first be something inferior to which that which is superior is being compared. And so Paul gives, as you recall, his whole resume. And he says, I was all of these things. And I was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin. I had zeal that could, could be compared to none other. And yet he said, yet all those things that I once valued and counted to be as my righteousness before God. He says, all of this means nothing. Because to know Christ is everything. And so all of these things are as garbage, as refuse, as that which is cast out. And Paul somewhat continues that very truth even in this fourth division we'll be looking at this morning. Paul provided this comparison within verses 7 through 11, which we previously examined, where he says, knowing Christ is the only object of true value. Verse 7, he said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. So Paul begins verse 7 by referencing his previous statements which he had made in verses 4 through 6, in which Paul provided, as I've already mentioned, this impressive resume. Israelite among Israelites, devoted to the Jewish religion, a Pharisee among the Pharisees, a religious zealot, which could be compared to none other. However, all of Paul's accolades, all that Paul once considered to be of the utmost physical, religious, political, and spiritual importance, Paul now regarded all these things as loss. 
I'll just, I'm going to insert something here just for a moment. Because Paul's statement in his resume was one upon every level, which I just mentioned. Physically, religiously, spiritually, politically. All of this of which Paul was had influence among all of these realms. But Paul said, none of that means anything. Would to God the church today, and I say church meaning of the I'm going to make a statement here. You have to understand what I'm saying. The Catholic Church, not Roman Catholicism, the universal church. That's what Catholic means. The universal church. Would to God that the universal church today would count all political, physical accolades, whatever it may be, or interest as nothing in regards to knowing Jesus and following after him. So Paul declared that to know Jesus is superior to everything or anything else. Knowing Christ, second, Paul says, is the only provision for true righteousness. And be found, verse 9, in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but just through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul not only explains that he was, prior to knowing Jesus, uh, that all he was prior to knowing Christ was in fear of Christ, but he also claims that all he could ever do in attempt to live according to the law was inferior and useless as well. Paul concluded that the identity God had provided him in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is superior to any identity which he or we could produce ourselves or he could produce by himself in his own efforts. Third, knowing Christ is the only source of true hope, confidence, that is. Verses 10 and 11, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul recognized that it was through an absolute commitment to know Jesus in every possible manner that he would then one day fully know Christ with all hindrances removed. In verse 10, Paul listed three essentials in knowing Jesus. In verse 10, he said first, power of his resurrection. Second, fellowship of his sufferings. And third, conformity to his death. Paul knew that if he were to know the life of Christ, he must first identify in the death of Christ. For Paul must recognize, as he says in Galatians 2, 20, I am crucified with Christ, past tense. Nevertheless, I live, present tense. Yet not I, but Christ liveth, present tense, in me. And the life which I now live, present tense, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life, died for me. So Paul is saying, I am identified in the death of Christ, and it's only through his death that I can know resurrection power. But if I am living the life of Christ, if it is Christ in me who is living, then that is going to be the same life he lived while on earth in his incarnation. So that means, therefore, that after the power of the resurrection, understanding life in him, then we have fellowship of his sufferings, and we are conformed to his death. Humility and, and absolute submissiveness to God the Father. So to know Jesus Christ is everything, which obviously therefore means anything other than knowing Jesus amounts to nothing. So that's my review. So now to get into verses 12 through 16 this morning, we examine the fourth division of this third chapter of Philippians, which includes these verses. It is extremely interesting to me that this is the text, this is the first passage which I personally and preaching in 2023, and had I not been a little incapacitated last week, would have been the first message on the first day of the year 2023, being this new year. 
In verse 12, notice what Paul states. And you'll see why I say that in just a moment. Paul says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, I'm pretty certain probably that there's no one in here actually wants to get up and expound upon what was just stated. You're probably reading that and probably a little confused by what Paul is saying. Well, let's look at what he actually states by first understanding the words in the language which he uses. There is one verb phrase and two verbs in this verse that are understanding of that which Paul declares in the passage. First of all, the verb phrase were perfect, which means were complete or finished. And then second is the verb attained, which means receive or take. And then third is the verb apprehended, which means grasp and lay hold of. So within this verse, Paul explains, here's what he's saying, that he had yet to be made complete and was not yet a finished work. Nevertheless, although he had not yet been made complete, he desired fully to grasp, or fully grasp, and completely lay hold to that of which God had laid hold of him. So Paul says, I have been laid hold of by God, and now it is my whole commitment and desire and desire to know and to understand and to fully grasp that to which God has laid hold of me, which of course is the fullness of Christ and this redemption. So Paul is saying, I'm committed to knowing Jesus and knowing this redemption, for this is superior to all other things. Paul summarized this truth in his epistle to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, he said, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, he might show you the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. From Paul's statement in this passage in Ephesians, Paul made a distinction of God's redemptive purpose and God's purpose of his redemptive work in us. So God has this redemptive purpose. That is that he has laid hold of us. But then there is a purpose to this redemption. Meaning, once we've received this redemption, now God has redeemed us for a purpose. This is all part of his eternal purpose. Don't confuse the language. God has an eternal purpose of redemption. But in that redemption, God also has a purpose for that redemption to be worked out and lived out through our lives as we identify in the death of Christ, conformed to his death, identifying his sufferings, and live in his resurrection, our resurrected power and life. So Paul declared God's redemptive purpose in verse 7 of Ephesians 2. Notice he said, that in the ages to come he might show you the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So in the ages to come, for all eternity, God will demonstrate continually this grace that he has given us in this redemption in Christ unto the glory of, of God the Father himself. But then notice verse 10. Paul declared God's purpose of this redemption in us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus Unto good works, 
Now, this is not saying, let's, let's remember the entirety of the context of Ephesians. Ephesians 1 through 3 are all about our position in Jesus Christ. And chapters 4 through 6 are all about the practical, or practically living out that truth of our position in Jesus Christ as established in chapters 1 through 3. This, of course, is chapter 2, which is part of our position in Christ. But here's what Paul is saying. If we truly have been positioned in Christ in redemption, justification, sanctification, and even glorification, then that means that God has created us in Christ Jesus, a new creature in Christ, unto good works. Listen, please, he does not say unto a life of, of comfortability, unto a life of ease, unto a life of, of apathy, unto a life of complacency. No, God has created us in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he has already ordained that we should walk in them. So there is the eternal purpose of God, which is redemption. And then the redemption or the purpose of this redemption, which is practically being lived out in our lives. Here you have that position and that practical again. The position is I am in Christ, he is in me. The practical is now because I am in him, his life is being lived in and through me. And so here he's saying that we are saved by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Ephesians 2 verse 8. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But after redemption, it is Christ now living in us, which is godly living, godly works. Verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended. As I previously explained, for something to be declared superior, there must be something inferior to that which is to that which superior is compared. And in the same manner, for one to express a desire to grow in knowledge of something is also a confession of one's lack in knowledge of that which they possess the desire to continue to know. In other words, the desire to grow in knowledge is admission of one's own ignorance regarding that which one desires to know. Paul addressed this truth in his epistle to the church at Corinth concerning the matter of men boasting and who had baptized them. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 3, 18-23. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. So if you think you really have wisdom, you need to recognize that you are ignorant of so much, and especially worldly wisdom is not the same as God's wisdom in Christ. So let a man admit, I am a fool in terms of knowledge of God apart from that which God has given me. Then he goes on to say, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours. And ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. What is Paul saying? He's saying while all the Corinthians in their carnality were saying, well, I, I, Paul baptized me. I was baptized of Apollos, or even saying I was baptized of whoever, all those who would baptize. And yet he says, let no man boast. And even when he says, if you notice, it's interesting, when he goes through and says, 
whether Paul, Paulus, or Cephas, in the previous arguments, it even brought up that of Christ. And he says, look, do not boast of your individuality. If we boast, we boast of Christ and a part of the body of Christ, not that we do something individually at all. And so the argument Paul made is that when you really know something such as boasting in men because I was baptized of Paul or Apollos, he says, that is nothing. That means nothing. That, that doesn't account for anything whatsoever. Then concerning the opinion of the liberty to partake of meat that had been offered to idols, Paul wrote this, and I give you this context because I do not want to just pluck the verse out and give it to you without you understanding the context in which Paul had written it. But in 1 Corinthians 8, 2, Paul says this, And if any man think that he knoweth anything... He knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. You see what Paul is saying? Oh, you think you're really knowledgeable? You think you really understand? You think you really have wisdom? Well, look, as a believer in Jesus Christ, since the time I was 12 years old, and specifically 14, when I submitted to the Lord concerning the gospel ministry, there has been a passion and desire to know truth and to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But I confess to you, the very desire I am expressing to you is also a confession. It is an admission of my tremendous ignorance of that which I desire so greatly to know. I desire to know Christ, but here's what I find out. Garrett and I were actually at a bookstore the other day and spending some time together, spent the day together, and he, he, we have tremendous talks. Um, my wife gets very bored when we talk. But we have tremendous talks and and engaging thoughts in, in our talks and things and ideas and positions and, and, and we learn from each other. I don't mind telling you, I learn from my son, genuinely, seriously, sincerely. And, and hopefully he would say the same thing about his dad. But nonetheless, as we discuss and converse and, and have these conversations, we were talking about, and Garrett said this some years back, when he says that he, he said he came, I was teaching actually a boys' Bible class within... Um, the school that Garrett was a part of, the co-op, and I went through the book of Ecclesiastes verse by verse. And throughout that book, find the vanity, the emptiness of life as Solomon declares it, that everything that he would desire when he received it or he did it, he found out that it didn't give him any more joy or satisfaction than he had previously. And then he concludes, of course, the, 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 letter, or the, the writing, as you know, whenever he states and says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He says, this is the sum of all things. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So he says, everything else is empty. And Garrett says, you know, he told me this years back, he said, Dad, he said, I've come where I desire to know, and I want to know uh, to understand. He says, but the more I want to know and understand, the more the more realistic I become and the more depressed I become because of what I understand and all that that I have yet to understand. But here's my point. I told him just the other day in the bookstore, I said, isn't it wonderful, though, that when it comes to knowing Christ, the more I know of him, the more I realize there is so much more to know of him, but yet it does not leave me in a state of depression. It rather fuels me with a desire that I might know him in his fullness. And I find that in, as I continue to know him more, it doesn't lead me to, oh, I'm depressed because I just don't understand. No, it leads me to being content in him as I understand him at this moment, but yet I am not content to just know him as I know him. I desire to continue to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Isn't that where we all should be as believers? Isn't that where we truly should be to desire to know him and to recognize and understand that we are ignorant 
Look, I know much more of my Lord today than I did at 14. I understand Him to be so much more than I understood Him to be when I was 20. Or even last year, or last week for that matter. But at the same time, in my understanding and knowledge and growth of knowledge in who Christ is, I am willingly, humbly confessing that all it reveals is that there's so much more to know about who He is. And there's more than I will ever fully comprehend or understand. So Paul says, if any man think he knoweth anything, nothing is he ought to know it. So Paul expressed both his ignorance of his knowledge of Christ and his desire to grow in the knowledge of Christ within this passage, as indicated in verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Once again, Paul mentions the verb apprehended, which means grasp and lay hold of. The point is that if we cannot fully understand or know things concerning our own lives or beliefs, then we could never possibly fully know or grasp in this lifetime the fullness and God's purpose to which he has called us. Paul further expounds that the end of this purpose is the resurrection to new and eternal life with Christ. Notice verse 13 and then 14, the latter part of verse 13. But this one thing I do, he said before, I count on myself to have apprehended. I do not claim that I have fully grasped or that I have fully understood or laid hold of that for which God has grasped and laid hold of me. That's what he's stating in verse 12. And now he continues that in verse 13. I count not myself to have apprehended. He's humbly saying, I have not yet arrived. But he says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now this portion of the text is the reason I previously stated that I find it so interesting that it is this passage that we would have preached on the first day of the year. And again, the first sermon, the first text I am preaching on Sunday morning from in 2023. And here's the reason why. From this passage, Paul addressed first the past. Notice what he says. Forgetting those things which are behind. What things is is it that Paul refers to? He's referring to his resume. (laughs) He says, everything that I once counted as righteousness on my behalf, everything that, that I once credited as though I could stand before God and say, but look, God, look what I've done. I've been a good Jew. I've been of the tribe of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I'm a religious zealot for the cause of the Jews. He says, all of those things that I held at the utmost highest and of the utmost regard, he says, forgetting those things. Refusing them, rejecting them, just saying, I, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm forgetting that which is behind. But then he deals with the future. Notice what he says. Reaching forth unto those things which are before. Again, this is somewhat elusive. Paul says the past is the past, but the future is still out there. And it's elusive because of everything I've previously stated. What is it for that which Paul is reaching uh, ahead and looking ahead to and reaching out that is before? 
It is the knowledge of Jesus Christ to understand the fullness of this redemption that is in Christ. And that is elusive in the sense of we will never come to the place to fully grasp who he is and what he's done. But yet we can continually grow with no end in growing in our knowledge and understanding of who Christ is and what he has done. But then he also deals with the present. Notice this. was not just simply saying, okay, there's a past and there's a future. But Paul understood, I must live in the present. He said, I press toward the mark. Forgetting all that's behind me, looking forward and reaching and striving after that which is before, yet right at this moment, it's not just some, some dream or some lofty desire that I'm looking to. He says, no, I at this moment press toward the mark. And of course, what's that mark? For the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Remember, he says, I have not yet apprehended. I have not yet laid hold and fully grasped that of which I have been grasped and laid hold of by God. And here Paul explains what that is. Notice, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. That is God laying hold on Paul. That is God grasping Paul. And then he says, this high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Within these verses, Paul once again emphasizes the very significance of that which he has already stated in the previous verses, which is not only the crux of the truth of the epistle, but is also the foundation upon which these statements within these two verses, verses 12 and 13 rests, and 14 as well. Philippians 3, 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. For it's in verses 13 and 14 that Paul declares that his past is forgotten, his future is sure, and his present is consumed by the excellency and superiority of God's purpose to which he had been called and to which he is absolutely and totally committed. In other words, Paul's past, Paul's future, and Paul's present is all consumed by one thing. And this is the one thing that consumed the entire life and ministry of Paul. Paul counted all things as lost for this one thing, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Knowing Christ is superior to everything else. Men today want to lay out all these rules. You've got to do this to be holy. You've got to stop this to be holy. No, you must be in Jesus Christ to be holy. And what you're doing is not making you holy. And what you're not doing is not making you holy. I have one identity. I have one claim. I have one thing of which I boast. That is Jesus Christ, who is my Lord and Savior. For there is nothing else. Let's stand together in prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of God. For these wonderful truths, I pray that we might be able to understand them and are content.